0: Uh, Could we just take a moment and pray for today's teaching? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word and we we think through and we consider, we pray that your presence would be here. We're here because of you. And Lord, as as, uh, we share, we pray that it would you and your spirit be speaking to us. So open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts so that we can see, hear, and understand the things that you would want to share with us today. So be with us now. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. All right, well, um, my reading glasses will be arriving shortly. There they are, both pairs. (laughs) Just Just in case. All right. How's that look? What about this? No, we're going to go with the first ones. (laughs) So it's Easter, it's Easter Sunday, and you know, in our family with a a bunch of kids, we've decided to make holidays a real big deal at our house. So at Christmas time, yes, we we have Santa Claus, and there's presents, and there's decorations, and and, uh, lots of food and things like that, and today is Easter, and so yes, there is the Easter bunny, lots of chocolate, and uh, probably more candy will be consumed on this day than the rest of the year combined, you know. So, and I'm hoping today that there will be, when the candy is consumed, a sugar high followed by a sugar crash and then off to bed. And hopefully it works out. It doesn't always work out that way, but I'm hoping that it does. Now, although we love to celebrate holidays in that way in our family and here at this church, we always want to make sure that we never, ever, 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 forget what we are really celebrating. And so the story begins way back when, when, when uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. But to be raised from the dead, if you go back before that, what had taken place is that man had sinned against God. And we've all done things. We've all, we've all sinned, we, we've all broken promises, we've let people down, we've hurt people whether it was intentional or unintentional. And uh, Many times we, we've lived large chunks of our lives as though God didn't exist or He didn't matter. And even though He holds us together and keeps us alive, we've responded to Him in parts of our life and just saying, oh well, whatever. And so that was a great insult to God. And so God uh, has created you and I in the image of God, which means that there are certain things that we can learn about God by looking at ourselves because we're unique in the creation. And one of the things that we have in the creation, which no, no other created being has, is we have a deep need for justice, and we get that because we're created in his image. He is the origination of all that is justice. And so you and I have a taste of that need inside of us, as, but we get that from coming from him. So that, if uh, you and I were watching the news and we saw that somebody got drunk, took their car and drove 85 miles an hour through a school zone, and wipes out a bunch of kids on the school bus... Uh, we would say somebody needs to pay for that. There needs to be justice. And so if we were watching the news and we were watching the trial and that person goes before the judge and the trial and the jury and all that and uh, the jury comes back and says guilty and then that person stands in front of the judge and it's time for sentencing and the judge were to look at that person and say you know what, you're guilty, we know you're guilty, we all saw the video, you did it but I want you to know I love you and I forgive you, you are free to go. Would any of us be okay with that? And the answer is no. And the reason being is that you and I are created in the image of God and so we have a need for justice. So every one of us has done some things. Great, small, whatever. We've all done some things. And God, because He is justice, just like we have a need for justice, He has a need for justice. And so God looks at us and he loves us because he created us and we're his highest creation. And, and even though we've done some things God looked on and said, you know, I, I do love you and, and I, I do want to forgive you. But we've done these things and, and somebody's got to take care of that. Just like we need justice. So God said, but you know, I love you so much. I can't bear to see you pay the price for the things that you've done. So God said, here's what I'm going to do. God said, I'm I'm personally going to come to the earth as a man. And I'm going to step into your place and I'm going to pay the price for everything that you've ever done so that I can say, I love you, I forgive you, you're free to go. So God said, I will come to the earth as a man, which is why at Christmas time, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, every church everywhere always reads this one verse. I put it there on your outline. It comes from Isaiah. It was written 800 years before Jesus was born. And it says, For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty, what's that word? God. You want to underline that. And in case we miss it, the everlasting, and what's that word? Father and the Prince of Peace. So God would come to the earth. Yes, he would be born as a child. Yes, he would be born as a baby, but he is the mighty God and he is also the everlasting Father. And so he came to the earth. First of all, he came to the earth uh, so that so that we could see what God is really like. When we look at Jesus, Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. And so we could see what God is really like. He also came to the earth so so that he could experience what it's like to be you and I. But primarily he came to the earth so that he could pay the price for everything that we've ever done and that was because of his great love And, and yet that deep need for justice also. 800 years before Jesus would be born before crucifixion, hundreds of years before crucifixion would even be invented. It told us how when God came to the earth, how he would die for us. There on your outline, notice it says he was pierced, and I want you to underline for our transgressions. He didn't do that for himself, he did that for us. And it would involve being pierced for our transgressions, the thing that we did. So Jesus, who is God in the flesh, came to the earth, stepped into our place and paid the price for everything that we've ever done so that he can say, yes, guilty, but I've paid the price for that. I love you. I forgive you. You are free to go. It's one thing to die for somebody, but Jesus proved that he was God by not staying Dead. That is, he proved that he was God by being raised from the dead. So when we celebrate Easter, everything that you and I hold as Christians is, is based upon Jesus being raised from the dead. It's so important that Paul in, in a letter to the Corinthian church would say this there in your outline, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. So if Jesus was not raised from the dead then he's really no better than any other religious figure who showed up and said some pretty interesting things. But he proved that he was God by being raised from the dead. It was when I came to understand that Jesus was raised from the dead and I saw the evidence for that and for me it became undeniable. That's when my Christian experience, my Christian walk really took off. I'm going to assume today that you're here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So I'm not going to go into all the evidences of why we can trust that he was raised. I'm assuming that you've already accepted that. But when we travel, as we travel through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday morning, when we come to that, I will take a little bit of time and talk about why you can believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And it becomes undeniable. But today what I want to do in the time that we have, I, I want to talk about somebody who has just had the, the, the bottom fall out of their life. Everything they've hoped for has been destroyed, their dreams have been dashed, and, and uh, it's a very, very difficult time. But there's a change when they encounter the risen God, the risen Christ, and we're going to talk about that today. So as our story begins... It's going to begin on Easter morning, which was Jesus has been placed in the tomb. He's died, he's placed in the tomb. It's three days later, it's going to be Sunday morning. And this story is told in all four Gospels. Now each Gospel will add some details and leave some details out. We'll talk about why that's important in a moment. But when Mark tells the story, I put that there on your outline. Mark says it like this. He says, now when the Sabbath was over, so the Sabbath is Saturday, and then it would be Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, I want you to underline Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now it's important to note that uh, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, the Sabbath was about to begin on the Sabbath. No Jewish person can, can work. So he had to be buried in in, in a very hasty, hasty fashion, uh, very, very quickly. Jewish people also do not embalm, and so uh, they wrap the body, but they will take spices and, and pack the body kind of to preserve it, but they don't embalm. So these women, on the first day that they're able to come to the, the tomb, they hope to be able to uh, add the spices to prepare him for that. Now, as they do that, um, as, as they're coming there, these women, as they're coming to the tomb. If uh, you're like me and you grew up in the church, we would see these pictures, mostly in cartoons, about what the tomb would look like, and the tomb would have like a boulder in front of it. And so the question is, who's going to roll away the stone? That's our question, who's going to roll away the stone? I want to show you what the tomb would actually look like. If you were wealthy back there in the first century and you wanted to be buried in a tomb, you would find the side of a hill, which is mostly rock, and you'd have that chiseled out into the side and uh, the body would be placed on the inside of that in the tomb. But what you see there is there's is a very large disc. Now that disc typically weighs between 2,000 and 4,000 pounds. And in front of the door they would carve a groove and so they would take that disc that weighs 2,000 to 4,000 pounds and they would roll that into that groove and because of its great weight that would seal the tomb. So it wouldn't be something that one person or two people or five people could just go and push up because of the size of the the, the stone that's there. We have, actually have another picture I'll just show you real quick. Uh, this is where they believe that, that, and it makes a lot of sense when you've been there, that this was the actual tomb of Jesus. And when you go there you can see the, the groove right in front of the door. But that stone would weigh somewhere between 2,000 and 4,000 pounds. They realized that they can't open that. And uh, so they're going there and that's the question, who's going to open the tomb for us? Well, verse 1 of John chapter 20, it says, now on the first day of the week, the first day would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene, I want you to underline Mary Magdalene, came came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the tomb already taken away, or saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now one of the things that we're going to find is that John is going to highlight this scenario through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. We know that there are other women there, but each gospel writer will highlight certain aspects in order to tell a story. There's a story within the story and this takes place in all four gospels. So she comes to the tomb, Uh, the other ladies are with her but John's just going to focus in on Mary's experience and they find the tomb open. Well, it's in Matthew's gospel that gives us a little bit of backstory. I put that there on your outline. And it says, And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I, I've always found that interesting that you see the size of the stone. The stone would be larger than a person standing, and, uh, so, which would tell you the size of the angel. And so he rolls it away and he sits on the stone. And it says and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing is white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So I've always had this vision in my mind where he shows up, he looks like lightning, they're freaked out, the guards. He rolls away the stone, not a big deal for him. He sits on the stone and I think he turns to the guards and says, hi there. And uh, we don't know that, but I I think that's what took place. We're going to see in our story as we travel through that those who were with Jesus at the cross will be the first to believe in him. Those who ran away because of fear will be the last to believe in him. So we'll see that as we travel through. So the women are coming to the tomb. Uh, The the tomb is open. uh, And uh, so as they find that open, verse 2, the body's not there. So verse 2, it says, So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now the other disciple that Jesus loved is always a reference for John. John is the writer of this gospel so uh, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them they have taken away and I want you to underline in your Bible where it says the Lord, the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and John adds the two were running together and the other disciple, that's John, Ran ahead faster, and I've underlined that word faster than Peter, and came to the tomb first. I love that Jesus is—he's is, 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 been buried. We don't know where his body is, but but John wants us to know. But yes, all that is true. But please know, I ran faster than Peter to the tomb. <laughs> don't forget that. So verse five it says, and stooping in and looking in, he saw, and I've underlined that word saw. The linen wrappings, I've underlined linen wrappings there, but he did not go in. Now that word saw there is important for our study. In the original language blepo is how it's pronounced, just means to look at. Uh, Jewish people do not embalm and they always bury on the the same day. So what they will do is they will take the body and they will wrap the body in, in linen wrappings. So it would look very much like a cocoon. So when John looks in, he looks and he sees the linen wrappings lying there. It's as if a body has been wrapped like a cocoon, but the body has come out of the linen wrappings and they've just kind of collapsed there as, as they were had they been wrapped around a body. And so he sees that, the, the, this cocoon-like thing has collapsed. Well, verses 6 and 7... It says, and so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw, and I want you to underline, saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. Now when Simon Peter arrives it says he saw, but that's a very different word. There in your outline from towns it says uh, that word is theoria. It's a verb that implies a greater intensity in the act of seeing, such as examining. And I want you to underline where it says examining. Because what he's doing is he's examining what he sees. He's really pondering this. So, so, why is he examining this? Well, first of all, if the body were stolen you would think that they would just pick up the body with the linen wrappings all the way around it and just carry out the body. But he sees that they're there just like they've been wrapped around the body, but they've now collapsed as though the body has stepped out. If they stole the body and even if they unwrapped the body with the linen wrappings, they would be strewn all around the tomb. But they're, they're laid there as though a body had been in them and then somebody has just stepped out. So he, he's studying that and he also makes the observation that the face cloth is separate and that's rolled up. Now the face cloth, we think of something that just goes around the face and that's true, but in that, that time the face, cloths, the face cloth was also what they used to tie around the head to keep the jaw shut. And so he sees that that has been rolled up and that's set over onto the side and everything's very, very neat. So that implies that this was not a hasty exit out of the tomb. This was some, Somebody's doing something very, very intentional. But everything is neat. And so at this point I always say, guys, this tells us that Jesus always leaves the room cleaner when he leaves. And uh, don't know what you do with that, but uh, put that out there. Verse 8, it says, so the other disciple who had come first, and this is John, came to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw... And believed, and I want you to underline that word. Saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again. So the disciples went away again to their homes. They they see uh, and they leave. Now um, here, John, it says he saw and he believed. That's a, a different word than the other two words that we've looked at. That word I put on your outlook on your outline. Ido means to know, to be aware, behold, consider. Have knowledge, perceive, to see, to be sure. And I've underlined where it says understand. John sees the wrappings there. They've collapsed as though a body has just stepped out. The face cloth has been rolled up. John looks on and he understands and he believes. He believes that Jesus is alive. Now he doesn't understand everything but he believes that Jesus is now alive. John was the only disciple with Jesus at the crucifixion. Those who were there at the crucifixion will believe first. Those who ran out of fear will believe last. So they leave. They they see this and they go. Now the story goes back to Mary, Mary Magdalene. And it says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping as, as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. One of the things we find about Mary, the disciples leave, but Mary stays. Mary stays because that's the last place that she knew Jesus to be. And there's a whole conversation about going back in times uh, of difficulty to the last place that we knew Jesus to be, the last place where Jesus was moving in our life. But that's a conversation for another day. Verse 12. She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, in our, our language it would say, woman, why are you weeping? The word woman there is a term of respect. We would say, ma'am, why are you weeping? Which is more uh, keeping with what the, the intent is. She said to them, because they have taken away, and I want you to notice an underline my Lord, my Lord. It's going to be important for our study. And I do not know where they have laid him. I I want to highlight something by way of observation. Something that I find interesting. um, Back in verse two, Mary says, the Lord. Now Jesus had been raised from the dead at that point, Same situation, she says the Lord, but nothing really happens. But here we notice that she says, my Lord, my Lord. And when she says my Lord, what we're going to see is that it's at this point where she says my Lord, everything begins to change. We're also going to see that John is going to highlight that Mary has just said that. So in verse 14, I want you to notice it says When she had said this, that is, and you want to underline that, she has just called Jesus not the Lord but my Lord. When she had said this, um, what I want you to write down real quick is that what happens when Mary calls him my Lord. That's what we're going to look at. When she had said this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. So one of the things that we're going to find, we'll talk about is that when she says, my Lord, that's when Jesus reveals himself very specifically. And you want to write that down. He reveals himself. We're going to find that it's at that point that Jesus steps into her situation. Now, if I were preaching this to me, I would have to say something like, Dan, how many times has Jesus been right there in front of you, stepping into your situation and you don't recognize it until later, and uh, many, many times. The good news in this, Jesus has just stepped into her situation, and he's not going to let her miss that it's him, just like he's not going to let us miss when it's him stepping into our situation. So she says, my Lord, and Jesus reveals himself, and then Jesus begins to speak specifically. Go ahead and write that down. Verse 15 Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher, which means teacher. He says, Mary, and all of a sudden the lights go on. She gets it. It's him. And he's standing right there in front of her. All the stress, all the angst of everything that's been taking place over the last few days immediately goes away. He's standing right there. When he begins to speak, she's going to begin to see this situation very differently. Although all that she's been going through, her perspective is now going to be greatly changed. I love verse 17. Verse 17 is one of the most misunderstood verses in the entire New Testament. Uh, It says Jesus said to her, now in my translation it says stop clinging to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go to my brethren and say to them I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. There is a conversation taking place between Mary and Jesus at this point. You and I are getting the highlights of a much larger or much greater conversation. So if you have the old King James Version, it would say she's holding on to Jesus and it says, touch me not. How many of your Bibles say touch me not? Okay. So uh, th- that's probably not the best translation. My translation says stop clinging. And uh, that word clinging there, in the original language is haptuo, it means properly to to fasten to, to make adhere to. The idea is that Mary realizes it's Jesus, and she gets him in a bear hug, and she's not going to let him go. She let him go one time, but not this time. He's not going anywhere. When he says to not cling to me or to not touch me, he's not saying, like, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to the Father, because you can read it that way we know that he's not saying that because very shortly he's going to encounter thomas we would know as doubting thomas and what's he going to say touch me put your hands feel i'm i'm real i'm i'm here what he's saying here is giving her some reassurance what he's saying is mary you can let me go you can let go i've not yet ascended to the father i'm still here i'm not going anywhere we're going to find out that he's not going anywhere for six weeks. So he's not saying, don't touch me. He's saying, I haven't yet ascended to the father. I'm still here. It's all okay, is the idea. Does that make sense? Now, the reason that's important is because what Jesus is doing, what he is saying to her by saying, I haven't ascended to the father yet. He's telling her that he's not leaving. And you want to write that down. He's going to be with her in her situation. Now, Mary says, my Lord, and then Jesus reveals himself. He begins to speak to her, and it's at this point that Jesus begins to give what we would call specific understanding, and you want to write that down. Verse 17, again, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. She now understands that he is alive and he hasn't left. He isn't going anywhere. She also understands because Jesus has just said, I'm going to my God, and Mary, he's your God. I'm going to my father, and Mary, he's your father. We refer to God as our father, but Jewish people in that time never referred to God as my father. They saw God the father in the sense that he was the father of the nation but they never saw him in the personal sense that he's my father. What Jesus is giving understanding on in this is that Mary, he is your father. So he's helping her to understand that. Also, when she says, My Lord, Jesus gives specific instruction. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren. And 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 tell them, I ascend to my Father, and your Father, and my God, and your God. So when she says, my Lord, that's when Jesus steps in and says, Mary, this is your next step. Go tell my brethren. And Mary becomes literally the first missionary. I find this story interesting because Jesus was raised when Mary said, the Lord. But when Mary said, my Lord, that's when Jesus very specifically steps into her situation. He begins to speak to her. He begins to give understanding. He begins to give direction, her next step. We all get that Jesus is the Lord. And for many people, if we were to be honest, we accept that Jesus is the Lord, but we don't really experience him stepping into our situation, speaking giving instruction, giving next steps, giving direction. But something changes when we come to the place and we say, you're not just the Lord, you're my Lord. How do you know when Jesus is your Lord or just the Lord? Well, you know that Jesus is my Lord when he is the one calling the shots in my life. Jesus says, and so I do. Uh, we all get that he is the Lord, but being the Lord doesn't always make him my Lord. But we notice when he becomes my Lord, that's when things begin to change. When Jesus speaks through his word or his spirit and we resist that, we place him in the position where we acknowledge he is the Lord, but at that point he's not really my Lord. On this Easter I would encourage all of us as believers to evaluate is he the Lord or is he my Lord? If you look at your life and you say, I don't really see him stepping in. I don't hear him. I'm not getting that direction. Maybe it's because you have placed him in the place where you acknowledge he's the Lord, but if you were to be honest, he's not really my Lord. And so today you have the opportunity to change that. I think it's also important in our story today to notice that Mary, for, in her relationship with Jesus, that her greatest fear was that she, her greatest fear would be that she would somehow be separated from Jesus. And that concern overrided every other concern. So if Jesus was on the cross and she's known to be a follower of his, she's going to be with him. When she hears that Jesus is in the tomb at the first possible time, she's going to be there. Her her fear comes out in that when she sees that Jesus isn't where they laid him, she runs and tells the disciples he's not there, and there's this franticness. She goes back and she sees Jesus. She thinks he's the, the gardener. And her fear is you know, where is he? Wherever you've taken him, let me know, I'll go get him. Her greatest fear is to be separated from Jesus. That's a good thing. For many in our generation, we have not come to the place where our greatest fear is to be separated from Jesus. And for Mary to be close to him was her driving passion. His desire for us was that he loved us so much that God came to the earth and paid the price for everything that we've ever done so that we would never have to be separated from him. His desire has never changed, which is why this last verse on your outline, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. The idea is, he's knocking. The desire to be in relationship if somebody's not in relationship, isn't because he doesn't want to be in relationship. He's done everything that he can do to bring us to that place where we would say, yes, I want that. As we close today, I want you to ask yourself, have you ever come to the place where you have a great desire to be near him, to be with him? And if you haven't, if you haven't, that's a concern. You have the opportunity today to open up your life to him and invite him in. He says, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. If you'll open up, I'll come in. It's very simple. It's just saying, yes, Jesus, come into my life. As we close in prayer today, there's two things. Number one, if you're a believer here today and he's not really showing up in your life in the way that we saw today, could it be that he is the Lord but right now he's not really my Lord. And maybe today that's the decision that we need to make. Or maybe we never knew all that he went through in order to bring us to the place where we could have a relationship with him and not be separated. As we do that today, you have, as we close in prayer, you have the opportunity to just invite him in. He promises that once he comes into your life, he will never leave. And you never have to be separated from him again after we pray we will be dismissed if you've made a decision we'd like you to let us know by marking it on your connection card but there's also going to be some prayer partners standing down in the front they would love to pray with you as you solidify that decision today so don't leave here today without praying with one of the prayer partners if you're making that decision today let's go ahead and pray father as we wrap this up lord our prayer Lord, we want to be those who don't just look at you as the Lord, who many times don't hear, don't see you show up, don't get specific direction. We want to place you into the position where you are my Lord. And as we do that, we want to experience you and see you step into our situation and see you begin to speak and give direction. And so today, We place you in the place where you are, not just the Lord, but my Lord. Lord, for those of us who are here today and we've never come to the place where we've said, Jesus, come into my life. Today we look to you and we acknowledge that you're God. You came to the earth. You paid the price for everything that we've ever done. And you're standing at the door of our heart, of our life, and you're knocking And so today we're opening that door and we're saying, Jesus, come in. And we invite you to come in right now. We accept your free gift of salvation. We thank you for paying the price for our sins. As you step in, we pray that you'll begin to lead and guide and give fellowship and direction and all that we need. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the people of God that you want us to be that you would keep us until we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.